This podcast is presented by Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty. Along with Tom and Suzanne, it's our hope that this show helps shine a bright spotlight on our area and celebrates what makes it an extraordinary place to call home. To learn more about our community, sign up for our newsletter, or to simply find your dream home on Staten Island, go to TomCrimmonsRealty.com. The Honest Eye Podcast is part of the Our Community Plus Lifestyle Network and a member of the local independent online news or Lions Publishers Initiative. We're proud to be one of the hundreds of organizations across the United States and Canada supported by the Democracy Fund, Facebook Journalism Project, Google News Initiative, and the Knight Foundation, and we love doing our part to elevate influential voices from our hometowns. Now, on with this month's show. On this episode of the On SI Podcast, gone are the Staten Island Yankees, and with them goes the defunct team's former sponsor and stadium namesake. What Ferry Hawks executives have in store for the newly renovated ballpark in St. George. Also this month, we introduce you to our local Heroes of the Month. This Staten Island couple has spent decades serving the borough and beyond through Kiwanis Club projects and initiatives with a focus on helping kids. Plus, a look back at an African-American woman who made history in our borough as a trailblazing professional who is leading the charge on the island's North Shore. Hello, I'm your host, Patty Murphy. The Ferry Hawks announced a partnership with Staten Island University Hospital, Northwell Health, that grants them the naming rights to the former Richmond County Bank ballpark. That tops our island hopping segment, our take on noteworthy, local, and positive things you need to know this month. The next time you walk into the baseball stadium on Richmond Terrace, you'll be entering Staten Island University Hospital Northwell Health Community Park. That's what the venue's current tenant, the Ferry Hawks, announced earlier this month. The team also publicized a five-year partnership with Staten Island University Hospital that will run through the 2026 season. Team executives Envision Community Park will be home to more than just Ferry Hawks baseball games and is expected to serve as a site for concerts, youth and college events, high school graduations, and a home field for other sports. In news related to the team, 23-year-old Kelsey Whitmore became the first woman to ever appear in an Atlantic League game. She made her debut in the Ferry Hawks opening day game at Charleston on April 21st as a pinch runner in the ninth inning. Cesar Claro, the longtime leader of the Staten Island Economic Development Corporation, or SIEDC, resigned from his position after 29 years of leading the nonprofit. Claro shared he will be moving on to pursue new opportunities. Claro has served as the organization's president and CEO since its inception. What started as the island's overall economic development organization in 1994 under borough president Guy Molinari has since become well known in the borough for its programs, projects, and events. The nonprofit started with a $50,000 budget and a staff of one and five public members, then grew to become a multi-million dollar operation with nearly 200 members 
and a staff of 10 within three decades. Two years ago, under Claro's leadership, the SIEDC, along with the Staten Island Chamber of Commerce, led the charge to secure the $10 million downtown revitalization grant for North Shore projects. SIEDC's Senior Vice President Gina Gutman is taking over as interim president. U.S. News & World Report released its annual ranking of the nation's top high schools. Staten Island Technical High School was the only school in the borough to make the list, ranking seventh in the city. The specialized high school also finished seventh in the state and 63rd among the top 100 schools in the country. Schools are weighted on indicators including college readiness, math and reading proficiency based on state exams, and underserved student performance and graduation rates. Now, we are proud to bring you our local Heroes of the Month, a segment made possible with support from Tom and Suzanne Crimmins of Tom Crimmins Realty. In this installment, we introduce you to a husband and wife duo who've spent decades embodying what it means to be altruistic, donating countless hours and effort to help those in need in many meaningful ways. Meet Forbes and Helene Irvine. Welcome to each of you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. You're very welcome. So do you mind sharing with our listeners how many years you've been a Kiwanis Club member and the various roles you've each held? So I joined Kiwanis in 1993. I have been secretary, president a few times, lieutenant governor. There's 26 divisions in uh, New York State. So each division has a lieutenant governor. And then I served as governor in 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was the governor of the entire state, which is uh, pretty interesting because it's a pretty big state. And uh, currently I am a past governor uh, in Kiwanis, once a governor, always a governor. So uh, I'm enjoying that status. Mm -hmm. And my wife joined Kiwanis in 2015. And she is currently the president of the Richmond County Club. Mm -hmm. I am uh, a member of the North Central Kiwanis Club. What motivated you to get involved with the club? You know, my father, his brothers, my mother's brothers, they were all World War II guys. So community service was always pretty important to all of them. And, you know, I guess as a child, those are your role models that you grow up looking up to. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess that really develops your sense of community. And then I think that when I went to St. John's, St. John's University, with the Vincentian Society and things like that, they really instill in you a sense that you should really give back to your community. And uh, I couldn't agree anymore because I, I've done very well. I've had a wonderful uh, life. Uh, and I think that people who are a lot less fortunate than we are, and they just need a helping hand sometimes. When I first met Forbes, one of the first things he said is Wednesday night is Kiwanis night. So that's how I was introduced to Kiwanis. And then I became a Kiwanis wife and I participated in the events of his club. And then as time went by and I saw that his future in Kiwanis was developing more and more, um, that's when I joined um, my own club, which was a, a club I joined because my friends were in it, a couple of my girlfriends were in it. So that's why I went in that direction into a different club. So. That's how we got started as the Kiwanis couple. <laughs> it sounds like such an enriching experience. Are there other charitable endeavors you've been involved with that you'd like to share? We were involved with the Grace Foundation. We're now involved with Anya Mark Foundation. 
a lot of the things that we do is through Kiwanis. Kiwanis has pediatric trauma centers in uh, three places throughout the state, which are uh, really amazing uh, parts of the hospitals and something that we we're very proud of. Kiwanis Pediatric Lyme Foundation is uh, a foundation that was started years ago because a member from Bronx Westchester, granddaughter developed Lyme disease. So Kiwanis and the Pediatric Lyme Disease Foundation will help defer costs associated with any child under 18 who develops Lyme disease. And of course, our most famous, or I think the jewel of really the New York District of Kiwanis is Camp Kiwanis, where we own a sleepaway camp in, in Taborg, New York, which is right outside of Rome. So that operates for eight weeks in the summer. No child is charged to go to the camp. Uh, Kiwanians raise all the money to uh, fund the camp and make sure the kids get up there and back. This is our first year open after being closed for two years because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we're very excited about reopening camp and getting these kids up there and having a uh, time in their lives for a week. So uh, we're excited about that. And Helene and I always go and see the bus off and the kids. These kids are going to camp with nothing. They don't have a change of underwear. They don't have socks. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see, but um, we provide all everything they need. They come back with a knapsack full of uh, clothes. They've gotten three meals a day plus snacks, and they, they're singing crazy camp songs. And they, uh, they really have a good time. So that's wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful is the word I was thinking of. And I do want to talk to you about the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic in a minute. But first... I acknowledge that we're only skimming the surface during our conversation today when it comes to all of the things you've done during your tenure, you know, and your efforts directed to community service. But I wanted to ask, what are some of the highlights of your community service? I understand, Helene, you started the Warm Beginnings Initiative and Forbes, you and I have talked about the prom for autistic teens. Yes. We started Warm Beginnings back in, I guess it was like 2015 that we started it. And basically I started it because I worked at uh, Rumsey in the newborn nursery uh, for 38 years and many a time where babies were going home with nothing. Forbes would run out sometimes and buy an outfit for me to put a baby to go home in, you know? So his club was the first club to hold the baby shower and we were overwhelmed with their donations. So we were able to give to Rumsey and also at the time to Staten Island Hospital Nursery. Um, we also gave to um, Crossroads on Staten Island. That is a organization that helps uh, mothers and newborns. And it just, it grew from there. So as first lady, my project became Warm Beginnings. Um, we're still holding showers on Staten Island. We hold them at least twice a year at what we call our divisional meetings where all the clubs meet together. Um, and then we divide the proceeds. Um, I've also now brought um, down to community health in Port Richmond where they're very, very happy. Everything is brand new, nothing is used and it's really um, clothes and diapers. We don't deal with any kind of formula. This year I introduced a toddler shower because I have a few um, Kiwanians that are involved with Parent Teacher Association. And they had acknowledged that there were some little children in the preschools that didn't have a change of clothing. So we were able to hold a toddler shower and Kiwanians are very generous when it comes to children. And we donated the proceeds to um, PS78 and to PS59 shopping bags filled with clothes for the kids to change into. If they, you know, sometimes they have an accident, sometimes they just get paint spilled all over them. So we were um, really happy with the success of that and we will do it again come September. So that was a very good new initiative that we started. And the uh, Helene's baby shower 
has been done in many states now and actually uh, Australia, Perth, Australia. And they actually sent. They sent me back a bunch of homemade crocheted little uh, stuffed toys for um, us. It was really, really nice. I mean, it was, it was exciting to see and to hear. One of the members from Staten Island who went um, to Australia had spoken about it. Kiwanis is all over the world. She attended a Kiwanis meeting in Perth and they held the baby shower and they sent us the items home. So it was really exciting to know that it was um, accepted so uh, wonderfully all around the world. And then in Las Vegas at the international convention, it we presented it. So it really got out there even more. So it was really good, really exciting to that uh, these little babies are being taken care of. Yeah, and I had no idea that it all stemmed from Staten Island and from you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank the men from North Central because they're the ones who really, <laughs> who gave me the push. So it was great. They're a good club. What else do we do? We do, um, my club does a lot of community service. We um, work with the senior citizens at Cassidy Cole. Um, you know, we help them at the holidays, providing food for them or whatever they call and they, they need. We will always, you know, help with them. We do um, veterans luncheon. Usually we do a Valentine's Day. A lot of these things have been put on hold because of you know the pandemic they're kind of you know in that age frame where they're a little bit more vulnerable than the rest of us so we have been held off on certain uh functions that we do we also participate with lifestyles and have uh, christmas parties and saint patrick's parties all that kind of stuff for them and they love it and we enjoy it as much as they do but like i said this year we're just it's crawling slowly back out into the community because of the pandemic. As we talked about the prompt for autism, this will be the third year we haven't done it because the organizations still aren't comfortable putting uh, that many people together on a dance floor, I guess is the best way to describe it. But next year, I'm hoping that we will be back bigger and better than ever. And uh, that's what we're hoping for because the, those kids really, really have a great time at the prom. And when did you start the prom? I think it was 2012. 12 or 13. And it's funny, it started, uh, there's a member of my club, Jimmy Malone, whose parents actually started my club back in 1954. Uh, my club has been meeting at the Staten every Wednesday since 1954. He was out to dinner with uh, some friends of his and, and they were talking about, our kids were all in high school then. And uh, they were talking, one couple was talking about a prom and the other couple said, yeah, our, our daughter will never enjoy that because uh, she, she had autism and she was in a special needs school. And Jimmy looked at him and said, yes, she will. Mm -hmm. And that's how it started. Mm -hmm. And it grew from there. You know, we bring in a limousine and photo booths. And it's just- It's tremendous. amazing. It's amazing. They, the girls come all decked out, the guys are all dolled up. It's just smiles on their faces, smiles on their parents' faces. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And of course we provide, if any gentleman wants a tuxedo or a girl wants a, a dress or a gown and they don't have the means to get them, we'd be ha we're happy to provide those. So it's, uh, it's quite an affair. Yeah. And it is understandable that so many people in the community, and as you had mentioned, including the special needs community, are being prudent about getting back out there. So how did you navigate the challenges of the pandemic and how has it affected your standard operations for like events and initiatives? My club is one of the few clubs in, the, in Kiwanis that we met almost every Wednesday during the pandemic and because we were a little bit more uh, resilient because uh, we met at the Staten and the Staten wasn't, didn't really have anything going on. 
So even though we weren't allowed inside, we would barbecue in the parking lot. <laughs> and, some, and some days it was quite cold. We kind of made it work. And then a lot of other clubs would come and join us because they knew that we, would, we were there. And we really had a, uh, a wonderful time and a real sense of camaraderie um, during, that, during that time. You know, and, and just not to be funny, just to be honest, my club is too dysfunctional to do a Zoom meeting, right? So it just, it would, it would just, it, we tried it. Whereas Helene's club, much more sensible. Right. We, they, we they're did. a lot more responsible than we are. And they did Zoom meetings and it worked very well for them. It we, just yes. didn't work for us. We Zoomed every Monday night as if we were at our regular meeting. Yeah. And allowed everybody, you know, to participate, which was great. We did fundraising via Zoom. Fran Reale from Safari Realty is a member of our club, and she was able to um, start a wheel of prizes, which we did twice during the year and raised funds. So that was wonderful. We just kept us all together. And it was nice because several of the club members are older and this, you know, uh, enjoyable for them as well. So you, we were able to also... Um, get in touch with uh, the Bahamas Kiwanis Club. And we did a Zoom with them because they were suffering from um, the effects of a hurricane. So the Abaco Islands were hit pretty hard. So we participated with them and donated to help them with their garden um, being rebuilt. Vegetation was basically destroyed, so they were rebuilding. So we were able to uh, Zoom with them. And it was really you know, interesting to meet other people that way. So Zoom opened up a whole different kind of uh, world for us, but it was great. I mean, we were able to keep together and that was the main thing. We waited until last May when everybody was double vaccinated before we even ventured back out to meeting. So. I have to ask why you're so passionate about giving back to the community and those in need. You know, I started at age 13 as a, you know, candy striper at the old Staten Island Hospital. So I've always been out in the community. It was just the way we were raised. You know, my, my grandparents were involved with baseball and volunteering and, you know, it just kind of something that we just knew. Um, I grew up in the house on the block where it was where all the kids were. My mother took everybody everywhere. So it was always like, you were always out and about. And that's just how it stayed. My mother-in-law was the Kool-Aid mom. <laughs> Yeah. So, you, you know, you just knew that, you know, there were uh, people that had uh, more than you and there were people that had less and you just joined in and helped any place in any way you could. I mean, you know, as a, a young mother, I was class volunteer mom, like involved in school while my son was going to school. And then with Kiwanis, it just developed from there. I think a lot of times you, you just ask yourself, if I don't do it, who will? And uh, yeah. so you just say, you know what, I will. And Colleen uh, and I are both lucky because we have a support system. So, if, you know, if, if I see somebody who's in need and I, I can't do it personally, you know, I have an entire club that's going to pitch in and help. And Helene has an entire club that's going to pitch in and help. And if, and if the two clubs together can't do it, then we have an entire division that's going to pitch in and help. So, you know, for the most part, if we find somebody or somebody comes to us that really needs help, we're, we're, we have the means and the wherewithal to get them the help that they need. And sometimes it's a very simple need and we're happy to, to do what we can. You know, you can't solve every problem. There's only X amount of time and X amount of money, but you, you try and do the best that you can. And really at the end of the day, if, the, if you've done the best that you can, it's been it's a, good a good day. day. It's a good day. My mother used to say, we might not have much, but we have more than most. And, and, that, and that I think is uh, the most important lesson that she taught me. Well, on this podcast, we often say that Staten Island is like a small town in a big city. And I think you have described that so far in this interview. 
But is there anything else you would tell people who might not be familiar with the borough about Staten Islanders? I think that Staten Islanders are very generous. And I think that although sometimes they can come off as kind of gruff and, and disinterested, if you spend a few minutes with them and explain what you need from them, they're more than willing to listen. And if they can help, they'll help. During Superstorm Sandy, um, I happened to be lieutenant governor that year. So that, that happened on a Tuesday. By Thursday morning, we had a 24-hour help center set up at the corner of down on Midland Avenue. And because one of the Kiwanis members owned the uh, storefronts and they were wiped out, I mean, completely wiped out. So, the, so we were able to use this, this parking lot, this driveway. Another member was able to, because in the Holy Name Society, he was able to get a uh, 40-foot portable kitchen sent up from St. Louis from the Holy Name Society. And you know we were we were pushing out fifteen hundred meals a day some days, and it was an unbelievable amount of packaged goods or sweats and gloves and things like that, socks and that cleaning we were supplies. able to some cleaning supplies that we were able to give out twenty four hours a day, and that went from the Thursday after Superstorm Sandy right up until Christmas. The response we got from the neighborhood, the response we would get from people who would just saw what we were doing and would pull over and throw $20 in a jar so to help with uh, buying food for the next day's meals and, and everything. Staten Islanders and New Yorkers are very generous. We might not have that reputation, but unbelievably generous. I just think that the more that you get involved, the more people that you meet. I mean, we always laugh and we always say, you know, it's an island because there's always somebody that you will meet that know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody and it, it's we, it's an island you know and after a while you know somebody hears what you're doing or you hear what somebody else is doing you want to get involved they want to get involved it's a small family within itself it's 500,000 people but it's a small family within itself and it's like my mother always teased us as kids you know if one soldier goes down there's three more to hold you up and I think that's really what Staten Island is like when somebody needs you you know we're there for you. I appreciate the fact that you articulated the spirit of the Staten Island community in a way that I haven't really heard before by showcasing the grit and perseverance of Islanders. So I think that's great. No, Staten Islanders are wonderful. They really are wonderful people. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add today? I don't know if you realize this. Kiwanis is also the largest high school, high school student organizational club in the country. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of key clubbers throughout the country. And uh, the key club is, I mean, these what these high school kids accomplish in a year would put any of the adult Kiwanis clubs to shame. We also have a, it's called Circle K, which is the college kids. And then we have builders clubs, which are grammar school, but really the key club, the high school kids, they are amazing. they are amazing and a force to be reckoned with. And uh, Kiwanis really did a great job cultivating the key club. They really did because they are all in. There is nothing that you can ask them that they won't do, or they come and ask us to get involved in a project that they want to do. You know, they're very big on clean water, clean air, and all those recycling, type of in, in, recycling environmental. environmental issues. But they're also very aware of other students who may not have enough to eat. Like back to the year I was governor, there was a school in uh, Potsdam where uh, a Kiwanis Club of 16, mostly women, and at the time I was 57, none of them younger than me, would fill the backpacks of 600 children, students, every Friday so that they would have food for the weekend. Wow. An enormous undertaking mm -hmm. for 16 adults. And, and how they knew which students needed 
the food was the janitors would leave the, their lockers unlocked so that nobody knew where it was, you know, so nobody was embarrassed. The food just appeared in their locker and they took it home. That's a wonderful commitment by a club. Like I said, 16 members, none of them were younger than me. And that was started because of Key Club, that the Key Club came to that club and said, we have an issue with some of the kids that they're just hungry. And that's how that started. So there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories. There's a but lot of stories. What it comes down to is that Kiwanians support each other in helping their district's projects succeed. Kiwanians all go to help each other participate and have a good time. You know, socializing. Kiwanis is very social. But in doing all of your socialization, you are raising funds to help your community. So everybody is uh, supporting each other so that we can support the community. It's fun with, a, I would like to say it's fun with a purpose. Fun with a purpose. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, we celebrated 120th Precinct Inspector Tania Kinsella during Women's History Month. Inspector Kinsella is a pioneering woman herself, striving to make the borough we love a caring and safe place to live. Your community have to feel comfortable with you being a leader and knowing that you're listening to their pleas or their help, whether it's a car parked in front of their driveway or something minor to something major. And I think that's really important that community is able to have a certain amount of trust in the ones who are precinct that will be there, not just when it's in distress, but when you know we know there's a family that needs clothing or or we're stepping up to the plate, not just to percuss on people, not just to be report takers, but to actually help enhance the quality of life of the residents of the North Shore. That'll do it for this edition of the Honest Eye Podcast. On behalf of Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty, thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at tomcrimmonsrealty.com. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you'd like to share, email it to us at stories at honestsi.nyc. Until next time, be well.